like to start uh, with a brief review of what we did in case there's somebody here that, that was not here the other day. I'm not, and it's going to be very brief because we've got uh, several other things we need to cover this morning. All right. Again, the priesthood. Uh, basically, oh, when I learned something last time, I printed out a small copy of this. I couldn't hardly read it. So I've got one I can read here <laughs> this time. So uh, maybe I won't get lost. Uh, basically, we said a priest is a mediator that stands between God and man. Uh, Hebrews 5, 1, we quoted uh, that, that every priest taken from among men is ordained of men and pertaining to God that he may offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. And we also said throughout history, you can see there's uh, been all sorts of priests, whether a uh, priest of God, we know that, and there's been even uh, other nations that have had priests of, of other religions, even heads of family served in that uh, capacity at times, offering sacrifices and things before there was actually, a, before there was an actual priesthood. And then we went uh, into the Arianic or the Old Testament priesthood, and uh, all the priests were descended uh, from Aaron's lineage. Of course, Aaron was a Levite, uh, so all of the priests were Levites. They were male Levites. Not all, not all Levites were priests. Uh, they all served in the, in the uh, tabernacle and the temple in various ways. But to be a priest, you had to be a direct descendant of, of Aaron. Uh, the role of the high priest was a, a lifelong appointment. And the high priest could only go into uh, the most holy place or the holy of holies once a year, and that was on the Day of Atonement. And then we talked about the priest uh, having to be sanctified. Uh, again, they're a mediator between God and man. Of course, we know God is holy. And they were set apart or sanctified to show the holiness of God. And so they could approach God, and they were separated for that. They had special garments they wore uh, called cloths of service or garments of service could be no blemish in the priest, and of course there was no blemish in the sacrifices either. And they had elaborate ceremonies uh, when they were ordained as priests. And uh, one of the first things it mentions is that Aaron and his sons were uh, washed with water. Again, this is a review. And then we talked about the uh, Christian priesthood. We said all Christians are priests. Go to 1 Peter 2, 5 and 10. talks about being built up a a spiritual house, a holy priesthood. We know that all Christians are sanctified or set apart by our obedience to the gospel where uh, we uh, believe, of course, and, and we are washed by the waters of baptism. And so we're set apart. We know that Christians are to present themselves as living sacrifices. And if you read Romans 12, 1 through 21, it goes through several things that we as Christians need to keep in mind as we're living our daily lives about how we handle ourselves and what we present to God as holy lives set apart from the world. And that we don't act like the world. We, we, we do different things from what the world would do. Uh, then we talked about the service we give here in worship, whether it's singing, praying, giving, teaching, partaking of the Lord's Supper, remembering Christ's his sacrifice, all of those being uh, spiritual sacrifices also. Of course, you mentioned Hebrews 10.25, that as priests we need to be here. Uh, without uh, being here, it's hard for us to offer that, uh, that worship to God that we need to offer. And this is where we left off. We were going to talk about Christ being our high priest. We are priests, but Christ is our high priest. Now, being priest, we don't have to go to any other man on earth to approach God. We can do that directly. 
We know we can pray to God. We can study His Word and all those kinds of things, which they couldn't do back in the Old Testament. They had to go through another human being in order to get to God. We don't have to do that. Now, we have a high priest like they had a high priest. Jesus is our high priest. And you notice the first bullet up there says, Jesus is superior uh, to the high priest under the old law. And uh, I want to look at Hebrews chapter 5 right now. You've got your Bible. You can pull that up. We're going to be looking at Hebrews 5, verses 5 through 10. So also Christ glorified not himself to be made a high priest, but he that said unto him, Thou art my son, today have I begotten thee. And it saith also in another place, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications with strong crying and tears unto him, that was able to save him from death and was heard and heard and that he feared, though he were a son, yet learned he obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author of eternal salvation unto all them that obey him, called of God and high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Notice in that reading, we mentioned Melchizedek two times. Uh, Melchizedek, matter of fact, comes up in the Old Testament two times. Once uh, in uh, Genesis chapter 14, which you're fixing to look at, and the other time is in Psalms 110 verse 4, which this reading referred to uh, in verse 6 where it says, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Go back to Psalms 110 Verse 4 in your Bibles, and we'll, uh, we'll read that. This being a, a psalm of David and its prediction of Christ, um, let's just start at verse 1. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rue thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning. Thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. It's kind of interesting that he's mentioned two times in the Old Testament. This is one of them. In a prediction about Christ and Christ being a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now let's go back to Genesis 14 and see where we are introduced to Melchizedek here. Now if you remember this uh, context of this, uh, at this time uh, Abraham had gone to rescue Lot. Lot was living in Sodom. Some kings came against Sodom. They fought against them. They won And they took off many of the people and the spoils and all those kinds of things. When uh, Abraham heard of that, he said, I've got to go rescue Lot. So he gathered up his servants that were trained for war. And he went after those kings and he defeated them and he rescued Lot and took of the spoils and brought the people back and everything uh, back. Well, when he got back, uh, the king of Sodom came out to meet him. But also, if you look at starting in verse 18 in Genesis 14, Melchizedek did also. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, 
brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him, talking he blessed Abraham, and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be the Most High God, which hath delivered thine enemies into thy hand. And he gave him, talking about Abram, gave Melchizedek tithes of everything that he had taken in that battle. He gave tithes to Melchizedek. Now, that's the only thing we know about Melchizedek. That's it. In the Old Testament. In the New Testament, he's mentioned nine times. Melchizedek is. And every one of those times is in the book of Hebrews. And it's in relationship to Christ being a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So there must be some importance to that. If he's mentioned that many times in the book of Hebrews, there must be some importance tied to being after the order of Melchizedek. What do we know about Melchizedek just from this reading? These three verses. What do we know about Melchizedek? He was a priest of the Most High God. He was king of Salem, which was an early name for Jerusalem. So he's king of Jerusalem, king of Salem. All right? We know those two things. We also know that Abram paid tithes to him. Abram recognized his authority as being a priest of the Most High God. Now, refer back to our priesthood under the uh, Levitical times. Uh, would Melchizedek be a priest after that? Hadn't even started yet, had Who's the father of the Jews? Abraham is. There weren't any Jews yet. Abraham's the father of those. But yet he's paying tithes to Melchizedek. So that means Melchizedek was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. But yet he was a priest of the Most High God and... Because Abram paid tithes to him, he had authority over Abram, which is going to be the father of the Jews. So apparently this Melchizedek was a priest for all people, was he not? Jew and Gentile. Does that sound like what Christ is today? It does, doesn't it? Also, he was a king, king of Salem. Is Christ a king? He is. He rules over his kingdom. He's a high priest, and he rules over his kingdom, the church. In those two ways, we know that he's like Melchizedek. Another way we know he's like Melchizedek, we just mentioned it. Melchizedek did not come from any lineage that we know of. We don't have any history of that. He was a priest of the Most High God, but he didn't come from any Levitical tribe. He didn't follow the lineage of Aaron. He was just a priest. And from what we can tell, he didn't have any designated time to be a priest. In Levitical time, they did. Of course, when they died, the high priest, another one served. And then others that served in the temple and in the tabernacle had served a certain number of years they could serve. We don't have any of that said about Melchizedek. So we don't know when he started. We don't know when he ended. Okay, uh, He's without lineage as far as that goes. Christ being the same way. Christ was not of the lineage of the Levites or of Aaron. 
He sprang out of Judah, didn't he? So he, he was not of the Levitical priest, but yet he's our high priest. So there's a lot of similarities between Christ and Melchizedek. Now, with that in mind, I want you to go to Hebrews chapter uh, 6. And we're going to uh, start... We're going to start in verse uh, 18 in Hebrews chapter 6. And with what all we're going to cover today, hopefully there will be time, we should mention every time, I've already mentioned two of them, when Melchizedek is mentioned in Hebrews. Okay? And we're going to mention several more of them here. Now, there's going to be some reading in this, but I'm going to pause and talk about some things as we go along. Okay? So hopefully it will be broken up a little bit. <laughs> I won't lose anybody here. Uh, Hebrews chapter 6, starting in verse 18. That by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold on the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, within the veil. Whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now we know that Christ went behind that veil. What happened behind that veil? The high priest offered a blood sacrifice for the sins of the people, right? Christ did that for us, didn't he? He went behind that veil for us. He offered himself as a blood sacrifice. Keep reading. Hebrews chapter 7, starting in verse 1. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. We read about that. First being by interpretation king of righteousness, and after that also king of Salem, which is king of peace. Now does all of that pertain to Christ also? King of righteousness, king of peace, all of that. Without father, without mother, without descent, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. Talking about Melchizedek, we don't know anything. We don't know any of that about him. We didn't follow his lineage. He didn't become a priest because of his lineage. But made like unto the Son of God, a bride of a, a priest continually. Now consider how great this man was, talking about Melchizedek, unto whom even the patriarch Abraham gave the tenth of the spoils. And verily they that are the sons of Levi who received the office of the priesthood have a commandment to take tithes of the people according to the law, that is, of their brethren, though they come out of the loins of Abraham. In other words, the priests were commanded to take tithes. Who did they take tithes of? Their own brethren, right? They, they were commanded to do that. Now it says, But he whose descent is not counted from them, in other words, talking about Melchizedek, he received tithes of Abraham. And blessed him that had the promises. So he received tithes. And he blessed Abraham who God had made promises to. But yet Melchizedek blessed him. And without all contradiction, the less is blessed by the better. Now pause on that just a minute. The less is blessed by the better. So Melchizedek's better than Abraham right now. He's blessing the less. Although Abraham had had the promises, yet Melchizedek's a priest of the Most High God. He's receiving tithes and he's giving the blessing. So he has authority over Abraham right now. Higher than him. 
And here men that die receive tithes, but there he receiveth them of whom it is witness that he liveth. And as I may say, so say, Levi also who received tithes paid tithes in Abraham, for he was yet in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. In other words, he's saying Abraham paid the tithes, but Levi did too, because Levi was going to be a descendant of Abraham. So, in like manner, Levi would have also paid tithes through Abraham. He was higher than that. So we're talking about the priesthood of Melchizedek, and now we're going to be talking about the priesthood of Christ. The next section compares Jesus to Melchizedek. Okay? We're going to start reading uh, in verse 11 right now. Verse 11. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? We've already said that. You know, Christ is not after the order of Aaron. He's after the order of Melchizedek. Interesting in the next couple of verses. For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar. Talking about Christ. Okay. He's of another tribe, not the Levi. He's the tribe of Judah. And it said, the priesthood being changed, there had to be a change of the law. Verse 14. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. Now let's wait and put those three verses together. The priesthood being changed, there had to be a change of the law. Because Jesus was going to be a high priest, he couldn't be a priest under the Old Testament because he wasn't of the tribe of Levi. He came from Judah. So Christ is not a high priest under the Old Testament, is he? Couldn't be. He's a high priest under the New Testament. But notice what it says. There had to be a change of the law for it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. I'm going to pause right here and talk just a minute, and then we'll move on. Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. God commanded Moses to speak about where the priests could come from. He said they're going to come from the tribe of Levi. They're going to come of the lineage of Aaron. That's going to be your priest. But yet... Christ came out of Judah and Moses didn't speak anything about that. But yet there had to be a change of the law. You mean there was a law that you could not be a priest if you came from the tribe of Judah? Moses didn't say so. But Moses said, priests come from the tribe of Levi through Aaron's lineage. Did God through Moses have to give a long list of, well, now, you don't take priests from Judah. You know, you don't take priests from Benjamin. You don't. Did he have to list all of the other tribes to get them to understand what he meant? No. They understood it. They understood that was law. When God specified a thing, that put everything else over here in an outlaw category. You don't use those other tribes as priests. Only this tribe. Only the lineage here of Aaron. That's all. That is a matter of authority. Now, we recognize that authority 
ourselves every day in our everyday lives. If you go into a restaurant, no matter where it is, if they give you a menu, that's a listing of everything you can order, right? Well, you may order, look down through there and say, well, I, I want a my hamburger, I want some fries and, and a Coke. You tell that to the waitress, she comes back, she brings you a hamburger, a fries and a Coke, and a milkshake, and a piece of apple pie, and, and maybe a, a, some catfish, and you're going, what's going on here? I, I didn't order that. And she says, well, you didn't say you didn't want that. I like all that stuff. So I thought you'd like it too. We don't live like that in everyday life, do we? We understand authority in everyday life. You know, it's something as simple as ordering off a menu. We understand when you order something, that leaves everything else out. God has supreme authority, does He not? In matters of religion. Can He order something in religion and leave everything out? He can. He can. He told them. The tribe of Levi, the lineage of Aaron, that left everything else out without him having to give a long list. And another example that we do right here, Lord's Supper, we're going to take today. And I, I don't know of any religious body that doesn't do this, calls themselves following the Bible. What are the elements in the Lord's Supper? Bread and the juice, right? Unleavened bread and fruit of the vine. We, we get that from reading the Bible and knowing that it was part of the Passover feast and they used unleavened bread in that. They used grape juice or fruit of the vine. And we use that. Can we add stuff to that? You know, I like peanut butter on my crackers at home, you know, but I dare not put any on that unleavened bread here, had I? Why? Because God did not say He wanted that. When I read in the Bible, and you can get authority through examples as well as express command of God, when I look at those things, I only see bread and fruit of the vine. That leaves out everything else that's on that level. Any other kind of foods that you want to talk about putting in the Lord's Supper, that would not be authorized by God. You can't do that. That applies to everything in religion. That is, that's why it's important that as we study our Bible and as we decide in our minds what we are and are not going to do in religion, we have to remember the kind of authority God has. Absolute. And when He says something, that's what He wants. has good reason for leaving other things out. And we shouldn't question those reasons for leaving other things out. Now, there's all sorts of lessons we could go into just with that simple principle of authority, okay? But I'm going to leave it right there right now. But realize that because there was authority only for the Levitical priesthood, the law had to be changed. Christ could not be a priest under the old law. Under the New Testament, He can. The law has been changed. We live under a new law now. And He can come from the tribe of Judah, and He can be our high priest. Now, we're going to keep reading. Uh, I'm planning on going through uh, 25 on this one and then stopping. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. 
For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. And inasmuch as not an oath he was made priest, for those priests were made without an oath, but this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. That's referring back to Psalm 110 verse 4. By so much was Jesus made a surety of a better testament. Not the Old Testament, a better testament. And they truly and they truly were many priests because they were not suffered to continue by reason of death. But this man, because he continueth forever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing that he ever liveth to make intercession for them. So Christ is a high priest. He never dies. He has an unchangeable priesthood. He has no end. We can come to God and He intercedes for us. And notice, I never, I forgot if David preached it. Somebody preached a lesson on this. And it says uh, in verse 25, Wherefore He is able also to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by Him, seeing that He ever liveth to make intercession for them. He's there to do that. That's what He wants to do. He's there to make intercession for us. That's part of what he does as a high priest is make intercession for us. Now, again, we're talking about a high priest superior to the ones in the old law. Go to Hebrews chapter 4. Another way that he is uh, uh, superior to the high priest in the old law, he lived a sinless life. Hebrews chapter 4, verses... uh, uh, 14 through 15, seeing then that we have a high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. He lived a sinless life. He was tempted like we are, but yet he lived a sinless life. And go back to that other part where he intercedes for us. Isn't it good to have somebody like that? He knows what we're going through. He's tempted. He was tempted in all matters like as we were. I want somebody like that going to God for me. Who understands? I mess up every now and then. You know, uh, temptation's there. I'm human. He's the only person that ever lived that was sinless. But yet he understands what I go through. So he can go to God on my behalf and talk to God for me and understand the pressures and the worries and the stresses that I'm going through in my life. And he can talk to God about that. And say, I've been a human being. I know what he's going through. That's the kind of person, the kind of being that I want interceding for me because he knows what I've been going through. Go back to Hebrews chapter 7 again. In Hebrews chapter 7, we're going to uh, be reading verses, uh, starting in verse 26 this time. For such an high priest became us who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens. 
who needeth not daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once when he offered himself. For the law maketh man high priest which have infirmity, but the word of the oath which was since the law maketh the son who is consecrated evermore. When he went into the Holy of Holies, he only had to do that one time. He only had to offer himself one time. You know, the priest under the old law had to offer multiple times uh, for their own sin and for the sin of the people. First of all, Christ didn't have to offer anything for his own sin because he didn't have any. And he only offered himself one time for the sins of the world, for all those that lived before him and for all those who are going to live after him. One time he offered himself for the sins of the world. And go to Hebrews 10, 10 through 14. This is talking about where he is now. Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 10. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth expect until his enemies be made his footstool. For by one offering... He hath perfected ever, forever, them that are sanctified. We're sanctified by coming to God through Christ and obeying the gospel. He only had to offer Himself one time. He can forgive us of our sins from now on by His blood. But He only had to do it one time. And again, much better and more superior than the priest under the old law. Go to Hebrews chapter 8. Hebrews chapter 8, uh, let me see, did we finish, we did finish up 7, just remember everything we read in 7, okay, all those things about Melchizedek, about Christ offering himself one time, and all those kinds of things, and then look at Hebrews chapter 8, here's what the Hebrew writer says now, now of the things which we have spoken, all the things that I've just told you, this is the sum. He's going to bring it all together for us. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of necessity that this man has somewhat also to offer. For if he were on earth... He should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law. We've already said he couldn't be a priest under the old law, not on earth. Who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things, as Moses was admonished of God when he was, uh, when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern. Show thee in the mount. There's a reason he made all those things, because we could see what was to come. It was a foreshadowing of what was to come. But now he hath ordained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant which was established upon better promises. For if the first covenant had been faultless, there should no place have been sought for the second. Christ is the mediator of a better covenant. The covenant we live under has better promises. We have the promise of complete forgiveness of our sins. We can go to uh, God ourselves through prayer. 
we are priests, all sorts of things about this covenant is better than the old covenant. Now, the rest of this chapter talks about this new covenant. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 8. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, and I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant, and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful unto their unrighteousness and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. And that he saith, A new covenant he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. That is a description of the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. How did you come into a relationship with God under the old covenant? If you were a Jew. Just being born into it. You're born, weren't you? You were physically born a Jew. Now, when you're born a Jew, when you're a little bitty fella, that doesn't mean anything to you. You don't know anything about that. When you get old enough, your parents and others start teaching you what it means to be a Jew. Here's what you do. Here's the law. Here's what God wants you to do. Here's what the tabernacle means. Or here's what the temple means. Whatever, whenever they were born. They teach you all those things. What's the difference in that covenant and this one according to him? I'm not going to do that anymore in this new covenant. You're not going to be born into it physically. You're going to be born into it spiritually. You're going to be taught before you come into a relationship with God. You're going to be taught before you become his child. That's why it says, I'm not going to teach you. They're going to be taught before they become children of God, not after. That doesn't mean that once you become a child of God, you get through learning. That, that's not what that means. But it means that you're going to be taught how to be in a right relationship with God after you're born physically, but before you're born spiritually. That is the difference in this covenant and that covenant. And in the new covenant, you can have forgiveness. He won't remember your sins anymore. Old covenant, they did. Yearly basis, they had to offer those uh, sacrifices or those sins so those uh, past sins would not be remembered anymore. Now, God does not remember that anymore. The new covenant, much better than the old covenant. Uh, let's see. Any questions or comments right now? 10.13. We're getting close. Aren't we? All right. Let's see if we can finish this. Let's get to the last slide here. We've mentioned this before, but Jesus makes intercession for us. Look at, again at Hebrews 7. Uh, and starting at verse uh, 24. But this man, because he continues ever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore, he is able to save to the uttermost uh, that come unto God by him, seeing that he ever liveth to make intercession for them. For such an high priest became us, who is holy, harmless, 
undefiled, separate from sinners, and made higher than the heavens, who needeth not daily as those priests to offer up sacrifice for his own sins, and then for the peoples for this he did once, and offered himself. The law maketh man high priest, which have infirmity, but the word of the oath which was since the law maketh the son who is consecrated forevermore. We've already talked about that. I won't go into a lot of detail on that, but but he's there forever for us to intercede for us. And and that that's again I made a big point about he liveth to intercede for us. Look at Hebrews chapter two. Hebrews chapter two, verses seventeen and eighteen. Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, that he is able to succor them that are tempted. Again, that's the kind of person you want interceding for you. Somebody that has been tempted like you are, that has become a man and that can go to a spiritual being and intercede for you because he's because Christ has been like us. And again, you can look at the other. I think our time's up. Uh, it says 10, 15. Did y'all hear anything yet? I didn't. Okay. Uh, well, go ahead and look at Hebrews 2, 17 and 18 then. Well, we've already done that in 4, 14 through 16. Have we already done that one too? I may be redoing some of these. No, I haven't. I don't think we've done this one. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Notice the last verse though. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Because He's interceding for us, we can go boldly to that throne. We can pray, we can go through Christ, and we can approach God through Him as our high priest and our intercessor for us. We'll stop there. I did hear it then. I knew it was about time. <laughs> Thank you.